This is the Ezra podcast. Ezra, which is like really how I want it to be said. If it was said properly, that's the way it said. That's the way my friend Elias always said it. And that's just the way I always read it every time I, I think of it and I see it. And when I put it on a shirt, I want people to be like, oh, he's wearing an Ezra. But let's get to the boxing. We got Jamal Charlo, big Charlo, versus Juan Montiel Macias. And I'm getting better with my pronunciation. I mean, I know Spanish, but I want to be able to say names like I do. I want people to be like, hey, that guy said that name like he speaks Spanish. And then I want to disappoint them when I say, oh, I don't speak a word. No habla espanol. Now, with Jamal Charlo, you have a situation where it's him and Golovkin. It's a two-headed monster in the middleweight division that are never going to fight each other. Because basically, Charlo, uh, Golovkin, up until this point, since after Canelo has been doing exhibitions. Let's just be honest. That's what they are. We're, uh, exhibitions are popular now. A lot, everyone's doing them. That's what Golovkin's doing. There's, and Charlo... He's not choosing to do exhibitions. There's just no one to fight. Now, he wants Canelo, but he's, Canelo's never going to go back down to 160. I mean, Charlo has to see that. Andrade's there, but Andrade has not been impressive to where I think like, oh, yeah, him and Charlo would be an excellent fight. And Andrade has a chance in that. But that fight should probably happen. But Andrade really has not made a claim either that he's above at the level of Golovkin and Charlo. Right? He hasn't. And I know that's probably not fair right, to say that, well, you know, he wins all his fights. Yeah, but he hasn't been extremely impressive. It's not like people are clamoring for this fight. They're not. People want to see Charlo fight someone, but I don't think if he fights Andrade that people are going to be like, oh, wow, like real, real boxing heads would be like that. But that's about it. Like the, the general audience, right, and people seem to forget about them, are not clamoring for Jamal Charlo to fight Andrade. Now, Charlo is in a situation where he's just going to keep fighting guys that no one knows or truly think are a threat to him. And eventually, probably what's going to happen is he's probably going to be upset by some no-name, right? And then suddenly that guy is going to be able to fight a bunch of guys that people are going to be like, well, I don't even know how good this guy is, right? And then he might get a, you know, what usually happens, just like the Klitschko's, right? Klitschko's dominate for a long time. And there's not really any challenges to them. And then when they lose, suddenly you got Wilder, you have Joshua, you have all these guys. You're like, well, where were these guys this whole time? That's what's kind of happened to Charlo. So Charlo's fighting Mont- Montiel Macias. And he just beat Kirkland, who is shot with the on, beyond shot, right? He knocked him out in the first round. I don't think it's that hard of a feat at middleweight to beat Kirkland, to even knock him out. That's how shot he is. Now he has a draw over uh, Hugo Boss, uh, Centennial, who Centennial got smoked in the first round by Charlo. Montiel did nothing to be in this position. There's just no one else literally to fight. And PPC just has to pick a guy who probably were going to try to use Kirkland, right, because he was a name. But they, they have to use a guy that knocked out Kirkland. And he's Mexican, so that helps sell some tickets. It helps uh, garner interest in him. But that's basically all he's bringing to the table here, right? He hasn't earned this. Now, skill-wise, what is he bringing? He's got power. He's got pop. And it doesn't take much to get pop from him. Like, he doesn't have to swing, doesn't have to wind up. That's the part that makes it most dangerous. It's just the kind of power he generates in small shots that don't throw him off balance. He switches very subtly, I'm going to say. Like, it's not a very, it's not a dead giveaway when he switches. And when he switches, it opens up shots. He's balanced on both sides. Defensively, it's a mess. It really is. Um, he, he stands tall. 
he tries to block punches with his hands, but he, he's not the fastest, most quick twitch guy. So a guy like Charlo will probably be able to get shots in at will. Fighting going backwards is, is not really a thing that I see uh, him doing. Now, he hasn't had to probably do it in much fights because he's usually a pressure guy. But I think against Charlo, because Charlo has power and speed, he might have to fight going back a few times. I think as soon as Charlo is able to push him going backwards, this is where Montiel is going to truly fall apart. He's a stalker. He um he does have like a little bit of a feint to his game. He kind of makes a move. It's not really a feint. It's kind of like he switches a position to where he, he looks like he's getting in a position to throw a punch, right? He like sits in that position. And then he kind of waits you out to see how we, would you defend that. And then he chooses how to attack at that point. It's pretty good. This is, there's stuff that he does that I really like. But it's just the unbalanced going backwards it's the the dimensions to him as like one dimensional his defense the how flawed it is he stays too tall i think he's just too hittable and charlo is if not elite fighter he's as high as you can get before being elite now he charlo doesn't really have any super big wins right dervichenko's his biggest win uh i thought that was a good competitive fight i thought charlo looked very good in that fight he looked high level right he has a win over uh julian williams a knockout 154 uh, Julie Williams went on to be champ at that weight, so that 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 win is aging very well. And in this performance, sometimes Jamal Charlo doesn't have the most impressive performances. Like sometimes he doesn't. I think in this one is basically built for him to have an impressive performance because Mancias is going to come at him. He's confident, and he's also not like skilled enough to where like he's defensively just going to survive. He's just not that. He's just going to come forward, and he's hittable. And he's going to look to hit. And this is the chance for Charles to just have very amazing performance. I don't know if it does anything for him. I think everyone that's watching it will already know who Charlo is. But maybe he can create some excitement, right? Because basically in his career right now, he's just kind of had waiting in line behind Caleb Plant, Benavides, and Charlo. And, and, now, and then him third for Canelo to get to him. Because that's what Canelo is going to do. He's going to go through Plant. He's going to go through Benavides. He's going to get to Charlo. And it'll be at 167. It'll be everything that Canelo wants. And maybe Jamal can have some kind of performance to leapfrog Benavides or, you know, create the buzz for him to be next. But Plant's first. That They're already negotiating that. So he's just in a situation here. Um, let's get to my predictions. Well, let's get to some notes, right? Uh, Messias reti- retired Kirkland. We said that. Charlo, uh, you know, he's a bit of an island, yes. And uh, does Charlo move to 168, which he eventually will if he wants to fight Canelo? There's just no doubt about that. If you hear something in the background, that's my dog. I'm just, if you've listened to this podcast before, you know Atticus is the demon. Uh, okay, let's get to the predictions. Messias' power is good, right? But Charlo is very disciplined. He's a very disciplined fighter. And I just. I think he's going to be very cautious to start off with. And he's going to get to him. And then once Charles starts reading what he's doing and starts seeing the openings, he's just going to tee off on him. And once he pushes Messias back, it's game over. Once Messias gives that ground up, it's game over. Messias is dangerous in this fight. I'm telling you, he's dangerous. But I just don't see him winning. I'm going to take Charlo. I think Charles is going to pick him apart. I think he's going to stop him. And uh, he's going to look very devastating because it's a perfect opponent for Charles to look very good, devastating against. The counter is that is Messias' style makes 
him hittable, which allows Char- which makes Charlo open up. And sometimes when a guy's hittable, right, and you're like, I'm hitting him easy, so I'm just going to keep teeing off on him. Sometimes those guys are dur- when those guys are more durable than normal, right? And there's a reason why they're more so hittable because no one's ever hurt them, or no one's ever made them think, "Oh, I need to put my hands up." Then you start losing your game plan, and then you fall out of it, and then you're a little bit tired, and you're like, "Oh, let me get back to what I was." But you already rhythm is like you're already in a war, and you're already offensive, and it's like, "Well, are you gonna go back to defensive? You're gonna try to get back in that rhythm?" And if that happens to Charles, that's where this fight gets interesting. Is if he starts teeing off and he doesn't hurt him, and then Matisse starts coming back, uh, Juan Matil starts coming back, and he starts landing his shots, well, then we might get something interesting here. Because Montiel pops, and if he's hitting you continuously, even Charlo, he can drop you, and he can stop you. That's where the fight gets interesting. I don't think it gets there. I think Charlo's going to be too technical, too good, and once he starts pushing him back, it's game over. Oh, a fight to watch. I didn't take, I didn't, uh, on this card, right? A fight to watch is Angel Leo versus Almeida fight. Now, I'm, uh, I had to study Almeida. I'm not 100% familiar with him, but Leo gave Cool Boy Steph pretty much all he could handle in a fight. Like, pretty much all he can handle. And Cool Boy Steph is one of the best fighters in the world, especially at that weight. So, Angel Leo is to be watched. And, um, I just think that you should really pay attention to that fight. Now let's go to the next. We're going to another card, and this is going to be the monster, anyway. Now, anyways, all opponents are basically in the PBC, or they're in the zone. They are not with top rank, and this is what top rank does. That kind of blows my mind. Is they sign a guy with virtually no plan what to do with him, and then they complain. They're like, "Well, there's no one to fight." And his fights don't sell. And it's like, well, yeah, there's no one to fight because you got him without a plan of what you're going to do with him. Now, with anyway, he has claims to be one of the best fighters in the world. Now, the problem with that is no one really knows the opponents he beat because they're at such a lower weight and they're from different countries. They're not going to have a big American audience. And if you don't have a big American audience, it's hard to be pound for pound number one because it's a big market. The American audience is a big market for boxing. But anyway, has that claim. And when a guy... From such a small weight, from a different country, gets that claim to at least even be in the top five of pound for pound. He must be damn good. And anyway, is damn good. Now, he's gotten a lot of uh, titles, but he's also in a weight class where every three pounds is a different weight class. But I'm not taking anything from him. He's beat the, the best guy at that weight every time. Now, he's fighting Michael Dasamarinas. Dasamarinas. My, my uh, pronunciation is getting worse as this, uh, as this podcast is continuing. And this is basically just top rank getting an opponent that they can get. That's really what it is. It's nothing beyond that. Now, not saying Josh Marines isn't a good fighter because he is a good fighter. But is he the guy that people want to see anyway fight? No, it's not. You would think of Casimiro. You would think of Rigondeaux. You would think of um, Estrada. You think of uh, Donaire. Those are the fights they want to see. They can't. They don't seem to have that yet. Now, I'm not saying they're not going to have something in the future, maybe. But right now, all those guys are fighting PBC. So what does Dasa, uh, Dasa Morinas bring, right? Well, he's bouncy. He's bouncy. He's good power. He's a southpaw. He's got good power in his left hand, right? Um, he jumps in with shots. Uh, the problem he has is he 
loses his balance as he goes backwards. He loses his balance as he continues in a combination because he tries to pop in with shots. And his left hand is powerful because he jumps into it and he puts a lot behind it. He he does uh fight from certain movements, right? So he like hunches over to put a left up a left uppercut into your body. He does that long enough, right? Then to set up the left, the, when he hunches over, he sends the left to the head. So you respect the body shot, and I've seen him put people clean out with the left to the head. He has bad balance, like I said. His head goes over his knee. Um, he's got a right hook. He's got both hands, but it's just the as it continues, the balance goes off. As he looks to move out, his hands drop. As he looks to move out after punching and to pull out quickly, he gets unbalanced going backwards. Inouye is one of the most balanced fighters in boxing. That's what you have to watch out for. Is how That's what you should pay attention to. If you want to see what makes this guy so special. We have speed. He has power. But it's the balance. It's the small adjustment with his feet that he's making. And it does not take much to where he can release a strong right hand to left hook. And the feet are moving so quick and so tight and compact that it comes off right after each other. Inouye is brilliant at that. He's brilliant in this style, right, where he's compact his movement, his punches. There's no tells. There's no giveaways of what he's doing. And he's unleashing power, but it doesn't take much movement to generate the power that he's generating. Because his movement of his hips and his legs and everything is working so flawlessly together. He's like a sports car. Is he as special as everybody's making him out to be? I think so, but you kind of... It's going to be a hard sell if he's not fighting name opponents that, you know, especially in America, that Americans know. That's a hard sell. My prediction is he wins, right? Just because of positioning and balance. And I'm not saying that Dustin Murray doesn't land some decent shots. Maybe he does. But he's, his tells are going to be, his weaknesses are going to be very obvious in a way. And once he sees them and once the power and speed and balance are put against uh, das Minas, das, uh, Marinas, it will be a one-sided fight. What's my counter is that this Das Marinas power is a real deal, and it keeps, in a way, cautious. It keeps him on his guard. And the body shots, and he begins to start landing some body shots, and he starts getting, uh, in a way, guessing on what's coming, body, head, body, head, and eventually the power lands and a right hook to a left hand suddenly lands and stops and it hurts anyway, right? And anyway, he's been in wars. He has an injured eye. And he might not be taking this fight 100%. You know what I mean? Because it's not, like I said, a big name. Not exactly like considered really a threat to him. He's a uh, minus 1,000 favorite. And Dustin Reyes shocks the world. And hurts all the money of the top ranks investing in anyway. I don't know what top ranks next move is in a way. It looks like it's going to be Donaire, but I don't know what Donaire's contract status is, situation with PBC. He just fought on there. I'm guessing that they'll find a way to make that fight. And that's a good fight. And Donaire just came off a huge win, and people are really pumped on him. And that's a really good fight for in a way, in a rematch. On the undercard, I did look at this fight. was Adam Lopez versus Isaac Dogbo. Or Dogbay. I think it's Dogbay. I'm not sure. Now, Dog Bay, which, which was a top prospect for top rank until he ran into a man named Emmanuel Navarrete. And I don't think people truly knew how good Emmanuel Navarrete was when they matched that up. 
now he's in a bit of a rebuilding stage. And the thing with that, right, is when you rebuild a guy, especially like Dog Bay, it's like what made him special was his aggression and his explosion, right? And I understand that maybe he did a lot of things that were errors, right? But if he fought in a way that people's deemed correct, it might take away what made him special as well. And I think that's what I see from him. It's like, yes, he does more fights like a typical fighter, but I'm not sure that makes him a better fighter. And I think this is where trainers overtrain or try too much to make them like what they have or what they want. And, and when that happens, it diminishes the fighter. Roy Jones was never going to be a tactical um, technique do the basics type fighter. He just wasn't going to be that. And if we did that to him, even in Roy Jones prime, it would diminish him. Now, Adam Lopez, right? Who's fighting Isaac is a guy that had to earn everything he's ever gotten in boxing. He's been matched super tough. He's fighting Valdez. He's fighting cool boy, Steph. He's, he's fighting, he's fighting a lot of tough fights and all his fights are super competitive because he's in good fights. Now, I think he has mental lapses in the ring. I think that his defense falls apart. I think he loses his hands. I think that sometimes he boxes. Sometimes he goes to war. He's a competitive guy, but I think that sometimes he tries to respond when someone hits him. He fights tall. Um, He's kind of a rhythm fighter. And sometimes that gives it away. Like he's like bouncy, but you could kind of read like, okay, he's setting to do something. But he could do it all in the ring, really. He could do a lot of things in the ring. And if the fight goes to a war, he could do that. And if the fight he needs a box, he can do that. And he's got he's fast. He's got a good jab. He can fight going forwards and backwards. He could do a lot of things. And I feel like he's more confident in what he is than Isaac Dogbe is confident in what he is right now. And Isaac Dogbe is fighting in a style that I don't I think takes away what makes him special. Now, is Isaac Dogbe more balanced than he was before? Yes. But I'm saying he looks lower. He looks more warm. All those things. I Like I said, I apologize for my dog. He is a demon. Atticus. Yeah, he's not going to listen to me. But all those things, I feel more confident in Adam Lopez going in this fight. I feel more confident that wherever this fight goes, Adam Lopez can go there. And I don't think Isaac Dog, um, dog Bay can go there. I, I think Isaac Dog Bay kind of needs like a controlled fight, for especially for the style that he has now. My prediction is Adam Lopez outworked Dog Bay. Survives some big shots and gets a decision. The counter is Lopez loses himself, gets himself dropped, um, doesn't fight the style he needs to fight, has a hard time finding what style he needs to fight in this fight, and just gets into certain situations that I think get him in trouble. And I think Dog Boy could get the, the, the stoppage in this fight. I think this fight is going to be entertaining. I think it's going to be competitive. And I think there's going to be, in the late rounds, is where this fight's going to be determined. I think this is a fight to watch. There's a DAZN card this week. I didn't get to the DAZN uh, Golden Boy card. It's a... What's it? I think it's a Maniga, right? Maniga, the middleweight. He's he's good. He, he's fun to watch. He's not... I don't think he's like a legitimate threat to the title. Even like middleweight, it's, I was just explaining how diminished it is. I don't think he could beat old Golovkin. I don't think he could beat Murata. I don't think he could beat Charlo. I don't think he has a chance at Charlo. But the, he's on there. He's fighting Sesma Rada, who uh, Sesma, 
Sizzler something who just lost to Golovkin. Uh, on that card, I think the Gabe Rosado fight is pretty interesting. You should give that a, I, I'll watch it. I'm definitely going to watch it. I'll definitely watch the card. But I think the Gabe Rosado fight is the most interesting one. Now, let's get to UFC. The UFC has a fight, a free fight this week on uh, ESPN or ESPN Plus, one of those. And it's Dan, I think, Ig versus Korean Zombie. Or is it Dan Ige? It's one of those things. It's probably a Ige sounds better. So let's just go with that. Now, let's go Dan Ige, right? Dan Ige is close to a title shot at 145. Even with the loss to uh, Qatar. He has a tough opponent here in the Korean Zombie, but is the Korean Zombie washed now, right? Is he no longer what the Korean Zombie once was? Now, he just, Korean Zombie's coming off getting schooled by Brian Ortega. And that was the schooling. Like, it was, he, he, he was not close in that fight. And he, I don't think he was really, you know, I don't think he was, it wasn't like, maybe sometimes it's worse like when you don't get knocked out cold, especially like the UFC, right? In boxing, you get knocked out cold, it's like you're slipping. But sometimes you get knocked out in the UFC, it's like you just didn't see something. You know what I mean? Something just caught him by surprise. But he, that's not what happened here. He just kind of looked slow. He just kind of looked like he didn't have what it takes to get to Brian Ortega or he didn't have what the shot that he was looking for or didn't have the speed and he didn't have the moment to get forward. And Danny, who in all fights is tough, he's aggressive. He's coming forward, but he's smart. He's not just a brawler. He's smart. Now, he can get in there and start, you know, he loops shots. He's aggressive, but he's smart. He's a tactical fighter. I think he has a little bit of towels, like with his movement. I think he kind of gets bouncy, and then he starts setting his legs. So you can kind of see when he's coming. And I think that might be a trouble with, especially against Korean Zombie, who has a quick, quick left hook, quick left hand. It's just responsive. His left hand is like, if you come in, it's working. It's looking to sneak a shot in. But the Korean Zombie has very bad defense. And it's like, okay, it's fun, right, that he takes shots. But there's a reason that that name is like, it tells you everything you need to know. He, needs, he always has to come back from dead. I don't think you come back from dead from, Dan, from Danny. I think if he drops you, it's over. Now, this fight gets interesting if somehow it gets to the ground, which it could be because both the guys are kind of like aggressive finishers. So if anyone d- d- uh, thinks someone's hurt, they have no problem falling them to the ground or they have no problem getting the takedown to look to get a finish or look to ground and pound. And I think this fight could get very interesting on the ground because Danny gets good off his back, Korean Zombie's good off his back, and they're both super aggressive. They're both looking to strike at all times. I think this fight's competitive. Uh, I think this fight's entertaining standing and on the ground. It's one of those rare fights where either way it goes, I'm like, it needs to be watched. I just don't know if Korean Zombie has anymore for those great comebacks and everything. Those things like that, it's cool to be known by that, but that's more of like an undercard thing. Like this is, at this level Dan is at, he's at the point where he's looking to main event. You know, he's in the main event, but he's looking to contend for titles. He's looking to get in that top four or top five. And this is a title eliminator. If Korean Zombie wins this, he's right in there, the title picture. And Dan wins this, he's knocking on the door next. Especially with Holloway and Yair Rodriguez getting uh, delayed. He's next after Brian Ortega with the win here. I got prediction is, you know, Ige stays compact. He's more defensively sound. He picks his shots better. He's willing to get wild. But I think when he gets wild, it's it's more picked and where I think kind of Korean Zombie is more reactive. I think that his shots just land more. And I think that his shots mean more. And I think that he's going to play some better. And I don't. I just think Korean Zombie's been through too much, too much wars. And I don't see in his legs anymore. 
I don't see his legs. He follows. He doesn't really have the. He's really more reactive fighter than him putting pressure on someone and getting in on someone. I think Danny Gay's gonna get in there. He's gonna they're gonna exchange at one point, and I think Danny Gay's gonna stop him. The counter would be that uh, Dan gets too aggressive, and he gets caught, and the shot the caught the the catch in the quick left hook, the right uppercut. Wherever he gets hit with, gets cut, he cannot. He's kind of just falling behind to what Korean, Korean Zombie's doing. And then in exchanges, Korean Zombie's faster. Because the one thing about Dan is he is kind of slow. Like a, his hand speed is not all, it's not the fastest hands in the world. Korean Zombie's, even, you know, in the Ortega fight, the one thing I did notice is like he he was able to get, you know, get some this, his some shots off at a good speed it's just the kind of the legs weren't there to get the distance he need but dan's gonna come to him and that's what korean zombie prefers so if he's just able to respond faster then i'll take korean zombie by decision i've never seen dan hurt right maybe the commentator fight but i've never seen him he hasn't been stopped korean zombie's been stopped but i think korean zombie has the best chance to win that he's just kind of faster and better in the exchanges right and dan's just too aggressive for his own good i'm gonna take dan in this fight and this leads me to my fake money Real bets. And I'm going Dan. Over Korean Zombie. 150K. I'm at 1,758K. Right? Because I won big last week. And I'll give you, I'll go over what I won last week. I took Leon Edwards a million dollars to win 210 over Nate Diaz. Won that. And that was, you know, there was, it, was, it was tight. It was getting tight at the end. I was, I was a little worried. I was a little worried. And then Nate was coming on heavy. And then he got Izzy over Vittori. 400k 148k i thought those were easy bets to make this week's been it was harder they didn't give you that charlo they didn't give me that charlo bet like i said charlo was minus 5,000 favorite anyway I, as much as i like anyway in that fight this guy's tough and i'm not gonna bet against power and a guy that i haven't seen enough i've seen i've seen the clips i've seen but i'm like he looks good but he's untested he's lost before but he also is very confident in his style i just didn't feel good with it especially at a minus 1,000 I'm going to go Dan over Zombie, and I'm going to go Adam Lopez, the upset, plus 120. I don't go a lot of upsets. 100K to win to win 120K over Dog Bay. And I just believe that when the, guy, when the fighters lose what they made them special, I think it's diminishing returns. And I think that Adam Lopez is going to be what Adam Lopez is. He's going to exchange when sometimes too much when he shouldn't be. He's going to lose rounds but he's gonna in the points where i need him to show up at the end of the at the toward the end the eight round on he will and he'll be aggressive and he's gonna do enough to take this decision adam lopez danny gay 100 150k one 100k the other to win 120k each fight thank you guys for listening it's been the ezra podcast